Animism Radio explores our connection to the plant, animal, mineral, human, and spiritual realms to help you live in divine relationship with all that is. Hi, and welcome to Modern Animism Radio. Thanks for being here. I'm Laura Giles. Our podcast shares stories and topics that can help you deepen your animist practice of living in relationship with all that is. It's near the end of the year when a lot of people are impacted by seasonal depression. Some are thinking about another year that has gone by without them being where they want to be and aren't too happy about that. I hope that if this is you, we can brighten things up a bit with our guest today, Terrence Ward. He's going to be sharing his ideas on how to deal with depression through ritual and magic. So let's take a pause for gratitude before we dive into that. This is the season of feasting, gift giving and abundance, all earth energy things. So to the earth below, I thank you. To the air above for inspiration, lightness, dreams, breath, and detachment to not take it all so seriously, I thank you. To the fire that warms the cold nights, purifies, transforms, creates, and destroys so that we can do it all over again, I give thanks. And to the water that helps us flow, reveals our shadow, helps us feel, and gives us intuitive awareness, I thank you. To the human, plant, animal, and mineral ancestors, I send gratitude for all that you do that is seen and unseen. To the elders who guide the way forward with wisdom, I thank you. And thank you all to the listeners around the world. If we give you anything of value, please consider reciprocating the love by sharing our podcast or giving a donation at buymeacoffee.com forward slash pan society. You can also review our podcast wherever you're listening. And that helps us to reach more people by boosting our podcast ranking. Now let's go to Terrence Ward. Thanks for being here, Terrence. Oh, it's wonderful for having me. Thank you. Sure. So you have a new book, Empty Cauldrons, um, which is all about combating depression through magic and ritual. What inspired you to write it? I um, I am an old friend of depression. And I uh, a number of years ago explored some of my ideas about depression in a blog post. And it got the attention of an editor I worked with, Heather Green. And Heather has since become an acquisitions editor at Llewellyn Worldwide and told me that she believed strongly that um, the topic was of interest enough that I could probably expand it into a book. That's awesome. So when you say depression, can you give me so that everybody's on the same page? Because I think um, maybe we can have more than one definition. What are you talking about? What's that mean to you? That is actually something I, I I really have wrestled with. I think it's a slippery term, and I think that's that's kind of by design. Uh, depression can mean I'm having a bad day. Depression can mean I just don't feel so good. It could mean I've suffered a terrible loss. I'm I'm I my mother died or something like that. But we also use depression to mean what what I was focusing on in this book, which is. Uh, sometimes clinical state, but also a a spiritual state in which the energy, the life, the hope is just sucked out of you over a period of time. And it's very difficult to to feel like you function as a full person and you want to isolate yourself from other people and engage in behaviors that actually make you feel worse. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've read your book. Thanks for that. And, um, you have a lot of practical things you can do to 
I don't want to alleviate the the feelings, sure, but as I was reading it, it seemed to be much more than that. It was really more about having just being in the experience of what you're going through. And um, I really love that, the exploration and the relationship of it. So can you share your idea of, you know, like the big picture vision of journaling your stories when you're feeling depressed? Oh, yeah. I uh, I think that that the, the tool of the journal is a phenomenal one because it allows us to to take a step outside of our our thinking mind and and get into dialogue with with a different part of ourself. I think depression can be seen as a spirit, either as a separate part of ourself or even a visitor. And it tends to to do a lot of talking in our heads and a lot of negative thoughts. I I, um, people I've, I've interviewed will attribute to the depression. Oh, that's the depression talking. Mm-hmm. And when we're able to, to engage in, in journal activities, I, and I give a few different examples in my book of different exercises, they, you, can, you can lay out how you're feeling and see it for what it is on the page. And it creates an interesting record because sometimes you discover you don't feel as bad as you thought you did or you don't always feel as bad as you thought you did. And I think that's one of the most important things. People who are experiencing depression often think they never feel happy. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's not really the case. It's just that we tend to not remember it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any personal stories of how you use this tool to help you? Journaling? Yes. I, um, I, I have been uh, keeping journals off and on for many years, and um, one of the one of the most important journals that I kept actually was was shortly after my my lowest point. I uh, I did spend um, about a month after a suicide attempt um, in a uh, in an institution where where I was treated pretty intensely, and my mother, who also experienced depression, uh, sat down with me afterwards and gave me a notebook to keep a journal and strongly encouraged that I do that because it had been an important part of her own healing. And she really thought that because I had a gift for writing that it was going to be an important part for mine. And she was absolutely right. I love that you're just putting it out there. (laughs) And, um, and then that you mentioned your mother. So, how might depression be linked to our ancestral story? So not genetic necessarily, but like the lives of our people. I, I interviewed a, a number of people for the book, as as you probably know, because you read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think um, Courtney Weber was one of the people who really helped me understand that because when I talked to Courtney, she has done a lot of work on understanding her ancestors and the traumas that they experienced. For instance, having your life completely turned upside down by moving to a new land. It's, it's, it's a huge trauma. And there's a lot of other traumas that we experience. And when we experience trauma and we aren't able to heal it, we pass down new behaviors to our, to our children. And I think with each successive generation, we make ourselves more vulnerable to depression with, or, or our children more vulnerable 
to a depression because there's just only so much a human can take Mm -hmm. and, and depression can kind of leak in once, once our, our, our spiritual and mental guards are weakened to a certain point. Do you feel like that was true in your case? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, it's, I don't think of it, of depression as being something I like inherited in the genetics from my mother. There are other family members as well who had it, but I think it's just the, the collective trauma of, of like, I, my, my grandfather, whose, whose parents um, fled persecution from the Ottoman empire. And I have other people in my, in my family tree who, who had a lot of other difficult things happen and, and a lot of persecution for various reasons. And, you know, even if it's just the, the, uh, the trauma of like trying to be a woman throughout female throughout human history, mm-hmm. because just the, the expectations of, of, you know, being like a second class person are huge. And, and I think that that's a sort of trauma that even though I am, I am not a woman, I've been, I bear from my ancestors and we are incredibly strong beings, but there, there comes a time when we just reach a point where we're a little bit weaker and and we let in some, some really negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think men don't have to be women to to have the trauma of that because they, it happens in the people that you love and you're, if mm-hmm. you love them, you're attached to them and it, you're with them as they're going through it. Um, and, and as you say, we're both male and female. And I think that that's in us too. Um, so have you seen any in, in going through the rituals and the journaling, have you seen any of that resolve? I, Yes. And, but not necessarily in the way I might have expected. Uh, another of the people I interviewed, um, Orion Foxwood made, made the pithy comment that sometimes it's okay to be sad. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that I think is important in, in creating a healthy relationship with depression in your life is recognizing that sometimes it might just be a reminder that, you're not allowing yourself to be sad and that you, you, you need to have quieter times and darker times in, in the fullness of your life cycle. And through the rituals that, that, that I've developed and worked out, I've, I've discovered that I don't have to be crushed under the weight of an awful force. I can just recognize that there are times when I need to slow down and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you come up with the writing prompts and the rituals? Honestly, I, I, I think Providence is the best word for that. I, uh, I, I really think that this was to some extent spirit led. I, um, I, I just, I, I've, I've, I've practiced several different uh, traditions in my life. I've, I've, I've worked with Wiccans and, and Quakers and, uh, Hellenic polytheists and and just my my knowledge of of what different people in the world do. I, I just opened myself up to what what I thought might work. And sometimes sometimes it was just sitting in a bathtub. And I would take a bath, and that gives me a time to 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 open my mind a little bit. And I'd have like a, a full-blown ritual come out of that. Oh wow! And I'd have to I'd, I'd have to jump out of the tub and towel off as quickly <laughs> as I can so I don't ruin my computer. <laughs> yeah, I guess you gotta 
you know, when, when inspiration hits you, you just take it. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's one of the lessons of depression is that if you don't slow down, it's hard to notice inspiration when it strikes. That's true. Yeah. So in some cultures, more than others, depression's not talked about or noticed. And I think even though it's better now, I think we're one of those. Um, and it disguises itself as something else, like a stomach ache, or I'm just shy, or I'm a workaholic. Um, how does a person know that they're experiencing depression and not something else? You're right. They, it, it can manifest in a number of different ways. And I think one of the important tools to use for that there's, there's two important tools that I, I recommend to helping discern that. One is meditation, because I find that if you can spend time with yourself, you can, you can, you can trust your, your own self-wisdom. And the other is community. Community, the, you, you, you can't overestimate the importance of connecting with other human beings. If you know people well enough, they will recognize when something is off and it's more than just a tummy ache. That's, that's something that um, one of my interview subjects, Kari Toring talked about, who has, um, Kari is, um, is, is, is very involved in, uh, in Norse traditional practices and, and has uh, Norse heritage and talked about how um, in, in Finland, the, uh, the close-knit aspect of the community makes it easier for people to, to recognize when, when you need to gather around and just be supportive of one another. And the ability to reflect that is essential. And I think the real difference is if you are find yourself driven to isolation and to hiding away, that's, that's the biggest red flag of all. Because when you're in depression, you are going to engage in behaviors that reinforce depression. That's true. Yeah. You're feeding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So meditation to me is like connecting with yourself. And then of course, connecting with community is the other piece of that. So yeah, I totally agree with that. And one of the things we talk about at Pan Society is creating a life that's in relationship with everything else. I said that when we first came on and you talk about creating a relationship with depression. Now, some might think that this would make the depression worse. It's like, you know, you're indulging it or something, but can you share the purpose and the benefit of this? Absolutely. Um, as, as, as I indicated earlier with my reference to, to Orion Foxwood and being said, uh, depression is, is part of the human experience. Uh, it's been with us for more generations than we know. And it, if it were, if we're going to kill us as a species, it probably would have done so a long time ago. What, what I, what I've come to, to believe is that there is some inherent wisdom in depression, but because we're a bit stubborn and don't want to hear the lessons, it hurts like hell to get there. Mm -hmm. The, um, when, when you, when you, when you, develop a relationship with this spirit however you can have the opportunity to stop and say well what what is causing me to be be so vulnerable and to hurt so much and that if if you actually listen to that wisdom then you might not have to go through the awful experience of of just as i said have having this like awful weight on you that makes you not want to do much of anything at all and you can instead recognize that you have 
parts of you that you're you're neglecting that there are there are times when you need to take stock and you need to think about life and 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 think about the quiet difficulties and the difficult things like grieving and mourning and and the challenges with contemplating our own mortality and and all the scary things that we we pack away that make it easier to to just feel miserable because we're not dealing with them. I actually went so far as to create a, a, a ritual for putting depression in a separate box, just so that we can give it offerings and try to make it happy without having it feed off of us. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, I love that your book really talks about the, or emphasizes the, the, aspect of having a relationship with it. Cause that's what we talk about too at Pan Society all the time is everything is relational and, um, and how these relationships overlap. So for example, your relationship with depression and your relationship with money. So can you share how these two might impact each other? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, money. If you, I, I, I also think of money as, as a spirit um, and money is a spirit that wants to be spent. And if we want to harness money, we need to resist the temptation to spend it, even though it wants to be spent. When we're experiencing depression, our guard is down, our energy is down, and we're more likely to let the discipline of money go away. And that might be that we, it, it can come up in a, double, a couple of different ways. Um, it might be a shopping spree to help uh, kick in some endorphins to make us feel good in the short run. But it also might be, I can't be bothered with checking to see which bills are due. And even though I have the money, I'm just not paying them because it's just too much work. And, and that, again, can just compound everything because then you start feeling like you're a bad person and it reinforces the negative thoughts in your head. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're suggesting that we just be mindful about everything. Which is kind of hard. <laughs> well, I mean, it's living. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another relationship that you explored in your book is the relationship between depression and death. And one thing that I say over and over again is how you do anything is how you do everything. So can you relate to, uh, so, so for example, how you relate to life is probably the way that you relate to death. Um, is there a connection there that, that people with depression share or am I off, off the mark? No, I, I think you are. Um, as, as, as people know, there is, there is a relationship between depression and suicide. It's not, as common among people in depression as one might think, but certainly a lot of the people who do choose to kill themselves are experiencing depression. I, I think of, I think that part of what goes on with depression is that it actually feels like death, whether or not you actually choose to finish that. And, and that's, that's, that's a terrible place to be because, you know, there are, there are, trained spirit workers who can engage in underworld journeys. But the thing is that they return. And when you're in, in depression, it feels like you're never coming back. And it's not surprising that some, that, that a small percentage of those people are, are going to, to take a physical act to, to reinforce that. 
but I think in terms of, you know, the way we live being like the way we die, I think um, we, we give attention with what we give attention to is, is what we feed. And when we, we fear death, we are, are feeding the possibility of a miserable death. Hmm. Okay. I'm glad that you talk about death and suicide. I think it's something that's not explored enough. And I think that's why it's so scary. And when you're in that space, in that suicidal space, I think it can be like tunnel vision where we become hyper-focused on why dying is such a great option. So I love the journaling prompt about becoming laser focused on reasons for living. It's kind of like doing the opposite. Um, even if they're teeny tiny things that you come up with, um, to me, it sounds like, you know, there's all this darkness and then there's here, this little tiny flame. Um, and I've definitely had clients say that they, they stay alive for their cat and they're not kidding. You know, that is the only thing, well, I can't kill myself because my cat won't eat. <laughs> so, uh -huh. um, how did you come up with that writing prompt? Um, that, that really was just turning my own experience on its head. Um, uh, ah. when during, during my, my, my tough times, you know, you, 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 you don't, you're, you're absolutely correct. You do not make a decision to take your own life because you're considering all the options you, you have, you have foreclosed everything else and decided it's not possible. And part of the problem is this is all going on in your own head. The way we, our stigma about suicide works is that if you're going to kill yourself, it's almost always going to be a secret plan. And one of the things that, that I argue is that, yes, there are appropriate times to take your own life. We even have places where that's legal now, but if you're trying to do it by yourself, there's something wrong. If, if you can't involve your loved ones in your end of life decisions, then you probably shouldn't be planning to end your life. I have never heard that said before. And, and I totally agree. A, a couple of things that you just said, I've never heard said aloud in public before. And one of them is that there are times when suicide is probably okay. Um, so I thank you for saying that I've had these conversations with clients and it's like, you don't dare say that because it's just not permitted. And, and I love that, that you said, you know, kind of gave the line of when it's okay and when it's not okay, because there's so many people that have these thoughts. And I think that's just beautiful guidance, beautiful guidance. Thank you. Sure. Um, another relationship that you explore is between depression and drugs. Can you talk a little bit about that? So drugs, I'm talking about not just pharmaceuticals, but um, over the counter stuff, herbs, foods, all kinds of drugs. Yes, yes. I, um, I, I think it was like a, a high school science teacher who, who defined drugs for me as, as anything that alters our body chemistry. And, and, and he was clear that that included the air we breathe, even in the food we eat. And, and certainly I, I, I think a lot of people will know that their mood changes on a full belly. Um, <clears throat> drugs change who we are, at least for a short period of time. And we have relationships with these spirits. And when we're in depression, it can, we can either seek out certain drugs to help, or we can be driven to seek out certain drugs that make it worse. Uh, there's, there's a lot of argument for a lot of people should be taking 
prescription drugs. I, uh, I did for a period of time when I was younger to, to help with depression. And for me, it worked out very well, but sometimes people have to work hard to find the right one. And that can be a real challenge, but there's also a lot of other options people choose, whether it's, um, engaging in, in, in a, a psychedelic mushroom or, or smoking cannabis or, or trying a, an herb like St. John's wort. And the two things that, that I, I believe are necessary when we're, we're thinking about our relationships with drugs, especially when we're in depression, is that we should always have a guide to help facilitate that relationship, an outsider, someone who, who can give us a third-party perspective. And we should recognize that 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 this thing has a purpose and it's going to engage in that purpose and we should treat it with respect because it and and understand it that sounds like you could be including plant medicines is 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 that <laughs> is that where you're going yes i i okay. i don't have a lot of experience with that but i understand but but yes i'm absolutely including that mm-hmm. okay and I'm glad that people are exploring other options these days. And another popular one that I hear a lot. So I'm a, I don't know if you know, um, I'm a holistic therapist and, and I believe you're a therapist too, aren't you? No, no, I'm just a writer. Oh, oh okay. I thought you were, <laughs> some, there's a therapist in your book. Yes. Uh, more than one actually. Okay. Okay. I knew I got that from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of my clients are exploring breath work. Um, any thoughts on that for depression? Uh, you know, I, it's not something I explored in the book, but I, I, I certainly recognize that, um, that, that breath is one of the key things that helps with, with emotion. One of the things I, I do talk about is how, in, in my view, emotions don't come from the brain so much as the body, because, yes. you know, if, if, if I breathe quickly and shallowly, it's going to induce an emotional response that's different than deep and slow breathing. And I'm sure that breath work is I'm sure I was dancing around breath work when I explored that. Okay. Okay. Um, One of the things that you pointed out in your book that doesn't work is toxic positivity. And I don't know if that's a term or if that's just a term that I use. Um, I think we've turned the corner on that as a society. I hope so. Um, Because social media things just go so fast now. Um, But for those who haven't caught up with that and are focusing still on the love and light. Can you explain why that might be a bad idea? Yeah, that actually, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought of that, but for my interview subjects, I think I had two different people who, who mentioned it as, as bad news with toxic positivity. It's, um, that's the idea that everything happens for a reason and it's all going to come out. Okay. But you, you, you have to have a positive outlook or everything that bad that happens is going to be your own fault. Mm. I, I think it comes from a good place, but we tend to take things to their extreme. Okay. Okay. And what about um, kind of along that same line? If um, instead of if saying, you know, everything happens for a good reason, what if it's like, okay, I'm cursed. This is the God's uh, punishment for me. Um, certainly in Greek mythology, there's tons of that. And the Jewish God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and tons of other things that were vengeful. So is what's your thought on um, the gods punishing us? Well, I think my Greek ancestors were a bit full of themselves to think that they mattered that much to their gods. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think the gods have a lot to do with, and and maybe the individual lives of, of humans isn't as important to them as we'd like to think. I, um, I, I do think there are people out there who are very interested in engaging in, in curses. Um, I, my, my first teacher in about mystical subjects said that the first defense against dark magic is just simply not to believe that it can affect you. Some of the people I talked with in my book would say, well, heck no, that's not true. It's, Magic is based on certain principles and has nothing to do with belief. It's all about the movement of energy. I, I think I'm going to reserve the thoughts about what, what, what gods and humans can do to one another on that level to, to the experts in that. I know that I have a healthy relationship with my gods and that Anyone, I believe, who does have a healthy relationship with whatever deities they, they happen to worship, one or more, is, is probably not going to feel like they're, um, they're being cursed by their gods. I think that that's actually more a, a question of what do you think you did wrong? Hmm. Okay. You have a really cool shape-shifting guided imagery experience in your book that I'd love that can definitely give a different perspective um, to depression or really any other aspect of your life. How'd you come up with that idea? That was inspired by uh, another one of my, uh, an- another one of my, uh, my subjects, uh, Kirk White, who um, is, is a practitioner that, um, that I've known since I was a young man. He was actually, Kirk was actually uh, there during my, uh, my, my darkest times when I was around 19 or 20. <clears throat> and um, he's, been, he's been working in the idea of, of uh, shape-shifting for a long time. Uh, European witches are said to have engaged in, in shape-shifting as, as a way of shifting consciousness to, uh, to change perspective. And, and that's what I, I tried to adapt for that, uh, that guided meditation. So how involved in spirituality, paganism, animism, does a person have to be in order to understand that exercise or, and to do it with uh, some benefit? Um, I think if, if, if someone is, is able to, uh, to quiet their mind and, uh, and, and learn to, to ground their excess energy, they, they should, they should be able to get benefit from it. I don't think you need to have years of, uh, of, of specific traditional training. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out because I think if we're talking about shape shifting and somebody's coming on for the first time, they might be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It sounds kind of crazy if you, you, you know, you don't have any experience with it, but yeah, I think it is something everybody can do. (laughs) Um, The whole book, really sounds like an exercise in shadow work. So just making things visible and getting to know what's inside of you. Um, It's coaxing what's real and true inside to come out and be seen. Do you think that all the suppressing and thou shall nots that we do to, to ourselves um, and allow other people to do to us contribute to that sense of not being happy, not being enough and being separate that so many of us have? No question about it. We we are it, it's second nature, at least in, in the United States, to just stuff everything we find 
insignificant or 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 not quite up to snuff that you want to hide away in in into that shadow and and it just doesn't go anywhere it just grows well as you've done that exploration for yourself does it um what's what's been the impact on that for you it's the 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 way that that my worst depression usually manifests is in um impatience and anger and that is something that i really brought into into balance i i am more capable of being reflective and not um it you know it's it's like someone hits a hits a sore spot you didn't know existed when because you're all wound up and tense mm-hmm. and once once you're able to 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 really work through some of those those negative things that you've developed in yourself it it makes it a lot easier to be more relaxed and limber and and be able to roll with with the unexpected Mm, okay there's this uh new theory in mental health um that all addiction comes from a lack of connection and the idea maybe you've heard of this uh oh i guess not (laughs) (laughs) so the idea is based on this experiment where the researchers gave rats all the cocaine they wanted and all the rats had to do was hit a lever and out pop cocaine. And then they offered them the company of other rats or cocaine and an overwhelming number, like 90 something, 90, high 90s, um, chose the company of other rats. So you kind of go um, there in the book because of the whole thing is about making connections and living in relationship with everything around us. I think a lot of us don't see all the things we walk past every day and don't notice all the the possibilities for us to connect to. So how did you become able to see the rocks, the leaves, the ancestors, the gods in each individual um, blade of grass in that way? I, for me, it, it, it was, it it was all about being smacked down because you know there there are people who will argue that the the only way that that gods build us up is by breaking us down i wouldn't i wouldn't frame it that way because i don't think that that it is the job of gods or spirits to to punish us but i do think that once you get to a low point and there's no place else but up it's possible i i I, when i when i started uh honoring the uh, the Greek gods. It was after a, a difficult time in my life, and it's just allowed me to recognize. And one of the things that I was taught is that the gods are everywhere, and mm-hmm. by knowing that, it's easy to remember the sense of wonder I had as a child. Mm, okay, so you were not always pagan. No, no, no. I uh, I I'm re- I gave up Catholicism for Lent. Oh, okay. <laughs> so relating to nature and all of that, it was a new thing. Well, okay. As a child, I guess not, but then as an adult. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it didn't feel so much like a new thing as in, Oh, this thing actually is more important than I thought it was. Okay. Okay. Was there a turning point or something that um, happened that you can share that will maybe inspire others to give it a try? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a time and a place for everything and it's called college. <laughs> I, and, and uh, when I went to college, I discovered that there, there are alternatives. I, I lived in a very homogeneous community and, and I, I got exposed to diverse 
ways of thinking. And, uh, and that's when I started exploring the possibility that maybe I, um, I had signed up with the wrong ones. Ah, okay. Okay. So being a former Catholic, then you know all about praying. Um, but I think that it's gotten a bad rap, um, especially among pagans. Um, for those yeah. who might not think that this is a strategy because of negative connotations or negative past experiences, um, how would you say prayer helps? Um, well, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there are some pagans who will, who will flat out say that it feels like begging and they, there's mm-hmm. nothing they want to do on their knees like that, mm-hmm. that that's about subjugation. It's, it's not though. It's about, it's about surrender. It's about recognizing that we are limited. We, we, we only live a, a, a few decades. We, we don't know everything. And when, when I pray, it's, it's a recognition that there are things I don't understand, that there are forces out there, and that maybe there is help that I can't understand as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, the engaging with the mystery is part of it, too, because there are things we don't understand, mm-hmm. like dreams. So um, <laughs> what do dreams have to offer the uh, depressed person? Yeah, that depends on on your perspective. This is one of the areas where I I got uh, contradictory information. Some people uh, believe that that dreams are mental garbage and there's just vomiting out extra stuff. And other people think that they're an opportunity to uh, explore yourself and understand the the non-conscious parts of our mind, because there's so much of our stuff of ourselves that has nothing to do with the thinking. And there are others who believe that they're at least sometimes an opportunity to receive messages from divine sources. Um, I think it's worthwhile to write down dreams. That's another way I, I journal is writing down dreams because if, if nothing else, you get them out of your head and you rec- so you can recognize that they happened and they might allow you to connect things in strange ways that you wouldn't have through your linear thinking. Have you had that happen to you? Yeah, from time to time. I, uh, I'll, 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 as I said, I do write down my dreams when, when I'm fortunate enough to remember them. And if I flip back through them, I can sometimes recognize a pattern like um, a certain uh, one of my, uh, of my grandparents will sometimes uh, appear in my dreams. And, and I've discovered that that usually signals a certain kind of messages coming through. Ah, okay. So most of the suggestions in your book are about creating a relationship, being in a space of respect and um, with depression. But I love that you also include spells to not deal with (laughs) depression, like the one you were saying, you know, you put it in a box. Um, And I think it gives people a sense of power and control over like, maybe I don't feel like dealing with this right now. So what's your go to when you just don't feel like dealing with it? The um, that's that's I like that. I forgot. I, I, I forgot that that was one of the things actually um, when, when I just don't want to deal with it, I, uh, I sometimes use, uh, use a sigil that I, uh, I designed that I put in the book that it's just to remind you to stop. And it's a, it's a, it's a signal to, uh, to allow you to just like disengage from your thinking process and and not let the runaway thoughts get a hold of you because that 
it, when it's it's when your your thinking is out of control that it seems to get the worst because that's when you get the really bizarre and, and dark conclusions in your head. And if you can yeah. just interrupt that, it and just take a breath. It sometimes is all you need. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we're in the lean into it culture, which I think is a really good thing. But there's a time and a place for everything, and maybe you know you just don't want to lean into it. <laughs> so, um, when is your book out, and how do people get it? It is uh, due to come out in January, and I know it will be available through all of the uh, the major booksellers and uh, hopefully minor booksellers. I know people can always ask their local bookstore owner to carry a book. Mm -hmm. And if they think someone's going to buy it, they probably will at least get that copy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, My website is uh, truepaganwarrior.com. Cool. Thanks so much for being here, Terrence Ward. And thanks everybody for joining us. If you like us, support us with a share or a review of the podcast, if you please. And I appreciate you all. I'm Laura Giles. See you next week. 